Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Night Protection Services, for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Surviving to Thriving. Today we have with us Eric Skorzynski. He is our podcast editor. Uh, He is world-renowned, or Las Vegas-renowned, I guess. (laughs) But no, he's um, awesome. So he does podcast editing, podcast producing. Uh, He is the host of the Preacher Boys podcast, uh, which is a lot of what we're going to get into today. So we'll explain more about that. He is also the filmmaker behind the documentary that is coming out uh, that is related to the uh, podcast, and that is coming out in 2021. Eric, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's just get right into it. How did you grow up? What was your childhood like, high school and all that stuff? So I grew up in a, I mean, Christian home. Uh, I grew up as part of what's called the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement. And for those that aren't familiar, there's there essentially churches that, like they say, are independent from each other. So it's not a part of an organization like the Southern Baptist Convention. They ultimately act where the pastor's the leader, and then there's everybody else within the church, and there's no real accountability on the outside. That being said, they do spend a lot of time affiliating with each other through conferences and things like that. But the the church that I went to, and we'll get into this later, abuse does run rampant within the independent federal Baptist circles, as well as a lot of really odd eccentricities, like girls can't wear pants, you can't go to movie theaters, can't drink, can't dance, like very, think kind of footloose (laughs) kind of vibe. Um, And so within my actual church, the abuse was not commonplace, which is a good thing, but we did have all the weird eccentricities. So like, I couldn't do all the things I just mentioned um, and grew up from birth through graduating high school. So I spent about 19 years growing up, going to the same school from K-5 through 12th grade, all on the same campus, about 130 kids total between all of those grades. I graduated with one other senior. So my class photo from 2013 is me and one other guy. <laughs> so grew up in that kind of context. I had awesome parents, um, which is also like I consider myself lucky in that regard. It, it was just interesting. I, I lived in a little bit of a bubble in that sense. And so like out of the, you know, when you look at like, hey, there's the weird kid that's kind of the religious kid in the corner, like it was kind of me plus 130 other of those. And so, yeah, we just didn't do a lot of the normal things that kids would do. Like I wasn't involved in a lot of like things outside the church. But one of the things that me and my friends did from the time I was probably six on was uh, my friend's dad had a VHS camera. And so we would spend all of our free time making short films and dumb videos with each other. And spoofs of like Terminator which we hadn't even seen Terminator but what we thought Terminator was and so yeah we I just spent a lot of time really getting involved in like media and art and you know graphic design things like that and uh yeah that was pretty much growing up growing up was church three times a week Christian school during the week and then any free time I had was making short films and just creating something gotcha so that I was going to ask you, you know, what did, what did you do, you know, when we were going to movies and we were, you know, out and, and listening to music and going to school dances and things like that as the mainstream kids, uh, you spent your time doing films or yeah. anything else that you guys, like, was a normal childhood for the people? Yeah, it was, a, it was super normal. My parents were... And again, it's so strange given the movement we grew up in, but my parents were very open to conversations. Like I was a very inquisitive kid. Um, my brothers very, um, you know, fall in line, like, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And I was always like, why do we do this? Why? What's the reason? And um, my parents were never 
the because we said so parents. It was always, even even things now that we may disagree on, they're always willing to say why they believe it and, and they'll listen to why someone else believes something. But honestly, my free time was all behind the camera or it was watching movies. Like me and my mom watch movies religiously. Like my my mom would show me like classic black and white movies. We would talk through like how it was made. And um, so really, I mean, really in my free time, it's always working on a movie or watching a movie. That's pretty much my my thing and it still is. Yeah. Um, it's just movies. <laughs> nice. So um you graduate high school did you go to college after that i didn't so um and this was um this kind of immediately gets to my story so pretty much everybody that grows up in the context i grew up in is pressured to go to bible college um one of the colleges that's connected to that movement and so i was signed up for bible college i didn't want to go i was already kind of frustrated with the movement i was in um and I got a call from somebody that worked for a Christian media company and they said, Hey, do you want to go shoot a documentary in India? And I, and they were like, it's in August. And I was like, well, college starts in August. And the guy who I was, I still am good friends with now. He was like, do you want to go actually work on something or do you want to go to college to do something you don't want to do? And I was like, I'm not going to go to college. So <laughs> when I made that decision, um, it really splintered a lot of relationships instantly with my pastor, youth pastor. And there was just a really, like, that's the only time I ever was like, I don't want to say yelled at, but I was ever spoken to the way I was by my pastor growing up and um, left when an intern. So I spent two years um, shooting promotional videos for churches, nonprofits, and then uh, shot a documentary film in India, left there to work in a nonprofit for two years, uh, helping with an orphanage there, and then uh, had a whole other unrelated situation that went down and ended up working at a car dealership doing marketing. So I've always been doing the same thing. It's just been different capacities. Um, but I've, my film school has been the school of hard knocks more than it has been anything else. So yeah. Uh, you mentioned that you were very frustrated with your with the movement and your upbringing. Um, what would, what brought that frustration on why and um, when did it start to manifest? So the frustration really kind of so there were initially just inconveniences. It was uh, movies coming out. Like I remember when Star Wars Episode Three came out. I was like, I want to go see it. Like you can't go to movies. So I had to wait like a few months, whatever. But that stuff never really pushed me out of it. I just thought, you know, that's part of the sacrifice we got to make as, you know, Christians. We can't go to the movies. And, um, but essentially what happened was when I was in 10th or 11th grade, uh, one of the coaches and youth pastors from a church that we were affiliated with, um, that we had gone to basketball camp with like the year prior, um, all of a sudden they found out that their coach had relocated to our school from Chico to Beaumont, which is a pretty interesting move anyway I reached out to one of the guys on the team that I knew I said hey are you guys bummed your coach is leaving like I didn't know he was coming out are you guys sad that this guy's been there for years is gone and he was like no not really didn't even say goodbye to us it was just super weird and I was like that is kind of weird so I I googled something I think just to see like just to find out more info or you know see if there was anything public or something and uh, what popped up was there was a warrant out for his arrest for sexual misconduct with a teenager. So he was 30, I think 31 at the time, youth pastor, and then the girl was 16 and was a babysitter for their family. And um, so I was kind of rattled by that. But like as a teenager, I didn't know, like, what do I do? Like in my context, it was like you go to the, you go to your youth pastor or pastor, and then you, that's it. That's what you do. So it took me a, a couple days or weeks to like, I don't remember exactly the timeline, but I essentially brought it up and they pulled him from, he was already getting involved in ministry at the church I was attending. So he was already doing a sixth grade Sunday school class. He was leading music and they pulled him from all that stuff. And what I found out is that his dad had basically called my pastor and said, Hey, me and my son had a disagreement, not a big deal, but I think he'd be better serving somewhere else. And that was how he explained like sexual misconduct with a teenager at his church. And so 
that kind of for me, like I could go deeper in that story, but for me, seeing how that situation was handled kind of broke that bubble around me where I thought, oh, we're the ones that have the answers. We're the right church. We're the people that are doing the right thing. And I thought, man, if someone can cover up so easily for someone doing something like that, like what else is being covered up? And essentially it kind of sent me through a series of just like Googling every guest speaker that came to our church um, of researching people I heard referenced. Um, So one of the guys I'll probably get into a little bit later as well is Jack Hiles, um, who is a like very evil, like as cult leader as you can get. And I just remember hearing so many people that speak at our church reference him fondly. And I remember when I first Googled his name, all the things that came up and it was just constantly, it was like, the best way I can explain it is like everyone talks about like the degrees of Kevin Bacon. Like if you meet, if you see one actor in a movie, like it's probably pretty close. Like Kevin Bacon starred with someone in that or, and for me, it's kind of felt like that with predators within the church of every guest speaker that came in was like one ministry away from some huge scandal or abuse case or cover up. And as a teenager trying to, one, figure out his faith, uh, you know, and all the, figure out who he is, figure out what life is, then to be thrown on that where you say, like, oh, the place I felt safe as a, like, fortress away from the world, the quote-unquote world, was actually one of, like, the most evil places that you could be, and so it was just a, it was just this inner struggle, and then it was, like, this, what am I a part of, and, and, um, you know, for a lot of time, it was just dealing with this feeling of guilt of like, is it, was I, by being a part of it, did I help this kind of stuff happen? Um, should, should I do the right thing when I found out about this? You know, and it's looking back now, I think like a teenager only has so much responsibility to know how to handle an adult situation. But that still really sticks with me is like, you know, why didn't I figure this out sooner? Um, why didn't I start speaking out sooner? And um, you know, seven years out of it, I still feel a lot of that same, that same emotion. Yeah. Did you see that your, or find that your, your church in particular may have been more on the, they were less accepting of those behaviors since, you know, the pastor of the other church said, this is, you know, we just had disagreement. They didn't actually tell him, you know, your pastor, what actually happened. And then as soon as they found out what happened, they removed him from having access to children. So, so to the credit of the pastor, like they did remove him instantly, which isn't typical within this movement. We start looking into cases, um, but it didn't. And and I guess people could argue it's opinion. You know, I don't feel that there was a. It was never brought to the church's attention that what had happened, which I don't think is right. Um, especially since he was assuming a ministry position, even though he didn't do anything that, to my knowledge, at the church I was at. I think if you come somewhere for that reason and then are found out, it should be announced to the church who have their kids in a Christian school that's in the same building as the church. And so I have mixed feelings about it. I think that they handled, I think everything that they've done has been handled with good intentions. I think there's been a lot of poor judgment calls. I, I just think there's been a lot of things that have been mishandled. I don't think it's been done necessarily to do something devious. Um, I just think there's a lot of things like, like, for example, if someone has a problem with sexual abuse of children, they can go to church. I, th- I think they should be able to go to church, but go to a church that doesn't have a Christian school, you know, and, and I think that's just a poor judgment call on their part. And I hope, like, I hope to God that that doesn't lead to any abuse happening there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I struggle, I struggle with that. I do think there are people there who didn't see it. Like my, I found out this was one of the things that fractured a relationship with my youth pastor I was very close to. Um, he knew about the situation before I did and was okay with him doing the ministry positions he was doing. And so I do have a serious problem there. And that was one of the reasons that that relationship, like we had like almost a, I mean, almost a father son relationship. We we're very close. And the minute I confronted him about that, like I was cut off completely. Um, and so but as far as like the immediate pastoral stuff, I, I think that it's all been well-intentioned, but just a lot of really, I mean, just bad decisions on how to handle the situation. So. Yeah. 
when but from when you started doing your google searching and finally you know figuring out what was going on how long did it take you to decide that you didn't want to be a part of that movement anymore so i was pretty much checked out my entire senior year um as far as like thinking oh, i want to be a part of this um i even swung a little bit on the pendulum to um, pendulum, pendulum. I never said that word out loud. Um, <laughs> um, but um, I had swung so far out that, like, I would. It kind of rattled me, like, faith-wise as well. And so, um, in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Bible college for you know my one year and do like a Bible, like Bible class or something, just so like my parents know I went to Bible college and everyone's happy and leaves me alone. Um, but then my goal was just to move somewhere where I didn't have to go to church, but I could like you know still look the part you know but I, I really decided in senior year and then going and working for this other organization it was a totally different church that like this kind of stuff wouldn't go on um i did a lot of like internal spiritual work um i was able to talk with them about you know what had happened i was able to start like i started blogging during that time and just kind of working through like what i saw like that we had been taught that wasn't right what you know what kind of things were going on and so it took me probably two, three years to feel like I had rebuilt myself a little bit. And then, and I think just being away from it was such a good, healthy thing. And then when I, the further I got away from it, the more I just became more staunch in the position that like, I'm not going to attend. I'm not going to endorse by being there. And so, you know, I had that difficult conversation with my parents in probably 2015 and just said, Hey, we're just not attending any events. Like, I mean, unless it's something like very specific for like a funeral or something, like we're not going to be attending. And then moving on from that point, it was just becoming like this position, like what do I have a responsibility to speak out about? And almost that kind of like, the more I researched, I was like, man, I almost have like survivor's guilt of like nothing happened to me, but like I'm an anomaly within it. And so I would just see people like being friends on Facebook with people and I'd see them in these churches and I'd be like, man, you don't know who that guest speaker is. You don't know what this is. And so, I mean, really once I left, I was out and then just my degree of responsibility I felt has increased as I've been out, which is not what I expected, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you said that your faith has been, you know, was, was shaken. Have you rebuilt your faith? Are you still living you know, a Christian lifestyle, did you change denominations or are you still kind of battling that, that faith? Journey? So from a faith perspective, like I, I'm definitely not in line with what I grew up in as far as I think that, you know, I'm still a Christian. I still believe biblical values, but the more that I've embraced Christ and who he is, the more that I've felt released from the things I was told were important. And it's become a, um, what, I, I actually had a podcast, reason. I don't remember what episode it was, but one of the episodes of my show, I talked with someone about this and I don't bring my faith very often into the show just because I want to give victims a chance to share their perspective. Right. But we started talking and I said, and we were talking about how fear is a motivator and, and the organization I grew up in was so dominated by fear. But fear, fear is a motivator that burns you out eventually and you just can't keep going. When you're motivated by love, you can, that, that's something that gets stronger over time. And so my relationship to God as a being was, was one of fear. It was if I don't do enough ministries, if I don't wear the right clothes, if I don't do all these things that the Bible doesn't tell you to do, then God's not going to love me. He's going to look down and be angry with me. Versus when I started attending this other church and when I started researching who God was on my own. And I, I would tell everybody for like two years and I thought I was like so philosophical, but I was like, I was like, I'm just basically kicking out the floorboards of what I was taught and just seeing like what stands up, like, or what's just someone added this here, added this there. And so now I would say I'm much more motivated by love of God and understanding my position before Him instead of fear of God and fear of man, really, which was the, the ultimate guiding factor is I very much care more about what my family thinks, what God thinks, than I do what the pastor thinks, what this person thinks, what a youth pastor or a connection thinks. Um, 
And so, yeah, I'm definitely spiritual, but I, I think it's just a totally different way of approaching it than it was before. Um, it almost feels like a completely new thing. Like I spent, I spent 20 years just grinding in the wrong direction. And then it's like now for the past seven years, it's been this like, it's been an up and down journey, but I feel like I have a lot more clarity about who I am and who God is and what purpose is. And it's just not what it was before. Yeah, definitely. I think that's so important to talk about just because a lot of times, even when you're in whatever trauma you go through, whether it's domestic violence or child abuse or sexual abuse or anything, if you had faith before it happened and then you have that happen, many people can't get back on that track of, you know, finding their faith again, but it really does help in the healing process of being able to find that faith again and have, you know, being able to believe in something that's bigger than yourself. So I think it's important to notate that, you know, people can still relearn how to have faith. Well, it's, it's a thing of my identity was the church. And even though I wasn't in a particularly cultish version of a cultish organization, um, when your identity is aligned with a thing and that thing hurts you, it makes you re-question every aspect of your identity. And I think it's really important. And I say this as a Christian, like I think it's important to question your faith and to dig deep because if something is true, it has nowhere to hide. So the more that I believe if Christianity is true, the more that I research, the more I'm going to become entrenched in Christian viewpoints because it reveals itself to be true. And I believe if Buddhism was true, the further you'd research, everything would push you that direction. I think, I think fear of a conversation, which is one of the primary elements of a cult is fear of like hearing other perspectives. I think, I just think it's important to be able to research, to be able to study and take the time to rebuild yourself before you start. Cause it is, it's easy to just leave that and be like, I'm going to just be a new person and, and, you know, change my haircut and do this and go do all the things I couldn't do before. But I think it's important to take that time to like really research and see like what part of that was me and what part of that was what people were putting on me. And that might take three years. It might take 10 years. It might be, you know, but I think that's important to do. Definitely. And obviously part of your identity uh, along with your faith is your production, your, your films, your, you know, all of this stuff. So I think it's awesome that you're able to still do that and keep your faith and, you know, growing up with your parents, always, you know, going through movies and everything with you and, you know, that you weren't completely turned off to doing that either. Getting into that, you went to India, you did your two years over there, and then you got into a nonprofit. Yeah, so... um the the nonprofit side of things was actually really interesting. So I I worked for well, so so the two years prior had been an experience of like working with all kinds of churches all over the U.S. So I I was still working with a lot of these churches that were connected to the movement, but we were a media company, so we worked with whoever hired. So I would work with some that were more community church. It was all Christian churches, but I did go to some that were more, you know, IFB. So I made a decision as I became more sure of my faith, I ended up leaving and joining an organization that had an orphanage and did leadership training. So we did leadership training in the Dominican, Cuba and India. And then I also, which I did a little bit of stuff like actually behind a podium kind of thing, doing some teaching and stuff. And then, but mainly my job was documentation and like getting information back to donors about what they were supporting. So instruction projects, classes, graduations of, of pastors, all that kind of thing. And then the orphanage was, you know, getting bunk beds for the kids, putting on big Christmas events every year. Um, and so I did that for two years. I would just fly out for those trips, do documentation and then come back. Um, and then when I got married, we, my wife and I actually moved to India like three weeks after we got married to work at the orphanage. Um, and then while we were there, um, about, so we got there in July and then in, in um, 
I don't remember the exact month, but I, August, I believe we got pregnant, um, which was a big surprise. And then in September, um, she, she got really sick in August. And then in September, we had a miscarriage and um, she was just really, really sick. We were in third world country in a small village hospital had like literally like holes in a wall, like one light bulb, like it was bad. And so we made a decision to come home. Uh, we flew back to Virginia, which is where the main supporting church was. And unfortunately, there were just, it, the church that was there was an independent Baptist church, really good people, like truly good people. And I wouldn't accuse them of anything bad, but very, just some very poor belief systems, like theologically that we just didn't agree with. When I brought those up, I was just told to like pack your bags, head home. And so we ended up going to California. We spent like six months sleeping by trying to figure it out. My wife was pregnant again with our daughter now. Um, and I was trying to find work. So started doing like social media marketing for an auto group here locally to get it back on my feet. Um, and started kind of branching on my own, quit that job in August. And now I'm kind of running full force. And because I wasn't busy enough, I thought, hey, I'll do that uh, podcast and documentary that I've been thinking about. So um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just been a crazy, like nothing has been a traditional path. Like if I was to give someone advice about like how to get into media, I'd be like, don't do what I did. Um, but also too, like all of the experiences have really helped, like have really helped kind of shape who we are and, you know, for better. I mean, I guess someone could meet me and say, well, if it shaped you into that, then I don't know. But, uh, yeah. but uh, I think it's been, I think it's been really good. And like all of that's in its own ways helped heal. Like there's things from traveling out of the country that have like really helped me shape a good perspective of humans, how people think. This is kind of a rabbit trail, but I think that one thing that travel does really well is teaches you empathy. I think that when you get to meet people who are different, uh, teaches you empathy, teaches you how to listen better. Um, and so, so I've just, I've just gotten a lot of opportunities to develop skills that have helped me like just mentally be healthier, spiritually be healthier and just be a better person. And it's just, when you come out of a culture of where there's a lot of hate for people on the outside, um, when you start spending time with people and start developing those skills, um, it, it can be a, a difficult journey, but yeah, I, I don't know what direction to take that, but that's kind of, I mean, it's, like I said, it's hard to go through my journey and be like, here's point A, point B, point C. It's been like right. just a mess. <laughs> no, but it's good. It's a good mess. And, and, it, and you have gotten to do what your passion is throughout the whole journey, which is awesome. You know, even going to India right. and, you know, then having to go back to the U.S. and go to California, like, you continue to stay in that social media producing world and right. just got to build your skills through that as well, which then led you to what you're working on now, which is this podcast that is really bringing light to this movement and the, you know, your upbringing. And I, I think you're doing really important work and I definitely want to get into this podcast. So where did obviously your whole life and your whole journey is where the idea kind of came from, but was there a moment where you're like, okay, this story just came out and I, this is, I need to start talking about this. So it was a, it was a slow build. Like originally when I first left, I was like, I was really big into writing and I still enjoy writing, but since having a kid, it's, it's just been hard to get back into it. But I used to write like, pages and pages and pages and pages like every day um and I, I write everything like I read so I write everything in book form so like I have probably like five moleskin journals that are jam-packed with stuff just from like the the first year I was out of um high school um but so originally I thought man it should be a book about this or like something that ties everything together um and then I believe it was like 2004 15 or 14 um i saw the i saw the movie spotlight um which is about the catholic church and they the uh, team that uh that broke the story about this first time that people were like oh like pedophilia and the catholic church is a big problem and i remember watching that and like 
it, there's a scene in the movie where, um, I don't know if you've seen it, but Mark Ruffalo goes down into the, the records and looks at all the priests that have been shuffled around. And so he would find someone who was accused and they would see in like the Catholic Church's record that they were on sick leave and were moved to another parish or they were doing this and they moved them here. And like, there's a lot of, par- there's a lot of parts of that movies that make me cry, but like, that's one scene when I first watched it that like hit me like a ton of bricks because I was looking, I remember having that moment where like, I would look up someone's name, I would find them here. I would look up someone's name. I would see they got moved here. And, and I just remember that planted a seed in my mind of like, man, when is there going to be spotlight for IFB churches? And I waited and waited and waited. And, you know, it's been six years now since, uh, since I watched that movie and I, or five years. And I told, I've just been telling my wife, I said, man, if nobody does it, I'm going to make a documentary. If nobody does it, I'm going to do a podcast. And like, she'll tell you, like, she's been sick of me saying that for like the last like couple of years. But since we've been married, I've been waiting and there's been, there's been two incredible like news stories. Um, one was called, I believe, Praying from the Pulpit um, about uh, one of the big colleges. And then there was one in 2018, which is one of the best pieces written on it, called Spirit of Fear by Sarah Smith. And the, um, uh, I always blank on the newspaper, but it's, uh, I can give it to you for the show notes. But um, she did a series that kind of covers like all these hundreds of cases that are all connected to each other. And, but still there hasn't been somebody that's just been a methodical, like constant, hit and and uh yeah i just kind of felt like this is the point and the case that pushed me over the edge to like say i'm doing this and like announce it was um there was a case of a of a pastor um in that had groomed a girl who was 16 or 15 at the time and um he basically was like taking a girl who knew nothing about sex knew nothing about sexuality and used his position to manipulate her into like performing sexual acts with him over and over again. And um, when she finally came forward and he was arrested, um, what broke me was there were many pastors tweeting support of him saying that he was falsely accused, all these things like blaming the victim for coming forward. And um, even and the day that this is the the day I announced it was like maybe four days later. Um, I'd have to check, but like right after he pled guilty, um, one of the big evangelists within my within my former religious denomination came forward and said most uh, most confessions come as part of plea bargains, and so they're usually coerced confessions. And basically said like he's still innocent. Yeah. Um, and then there was a pastor who there were several pastors tweeting things like that. And then there was a pastor who literally sent out a mass email to his church's network, raising money to help him pay legal fees. And that was when I kind of snapped and I went out to my car and just, I didn't, it didn't push me to the dock yet, but I went out to my car. I did a video where I just was very like in the moment, just like, this is crazy. Like this, is what I've been saying for years. And then about, two, three days later, I cut together the first two minutes of the documentary, just assembling news footage and said like, we're doing this and like, I'm going to put it out here. So that way I'm accountable to do it. Um, And then right when I dropped that, it got like, I mean, instantly it was over a thousand views and then people started messaging and I probably between all my inboxes probably had 30, 40 people all say like, I was abused. I want to share my story. I had this happen. I know someone check this, check that. And I was like, I want to show all these stories. So I said, let's make it a podcast as well. And so, um, yeah, it really just was something that I just felt like had to be done. Like it's been, it's been since the 1950s that one side has predominantly held the microphone and there's been victims that have sat there with no outlet, no way to say what happened to them, no way to share their story, no way to warn others. And so this podcast is essentially giving a microphone to those that have been silenced by the church for all this time. Yeah. Have you gotten any backlash from it? I mean, you are taking on a powerful entity. I mean, when you think when, 
you think about power, you think about money and you think about, you know, all of that. Has there been backlash or are you anticipating backlash and what's going on? Yeah. So I, um, I haven't had it. I thought it would hit because when I was blogging, I did an article that was a little bit of a critique and it was instantly hit with a ton. Um, with this, I haven't. I think part of that's because they don't want to bring attention to it more than there already is. The only negative feedback that I've gotten, it has been from one of the pastors that was mentioned in the first episode of the show. and He's been public, but even that, he doesn't tag me, doesn't mention him, but it's obvious with the timing and the things he says that that's what he's referring to. And he knows people are listening to it. I do anticipate there will be some. Um, I actually, um, I was talking to you before I got on the mic, like, I do have a lawyer who is familiar with a lot of these organizations and he, um, I asked him, I said, how, how likely is it that, or I said, is it a valid concern that I'm going to be sued or someone's going to legally go after me? And he said, oh, it's a hundred percent going to happen. Um, when you start going after the bigger organizations, cause they are multi-million dollar organizations and institutions, he said, they are going to put pressure on you. Um, and tell you to stop and I'm aware that that's a concern but I also I'm taking steps to kind of protect myself as far as you know I try to be very factual and journalistic about what I go after and I also um, you know I also am aware too that you know there's freedom of speech on my side which is a good thing um, so um, the conversations I have are all from victims' perspectives. I let them speak freely and I make it clear that, you know, they're innocent until proven guilty, but hey, it looks pretty fishy. <laughs> so, right. um, but yeah, no, no one's been obsessively. There's about two, sto- there's two stories right now that are about to break and uh, I'm about to break one of them. I don't think that there's been any reporting done on it. Um, and then there's another that I'm partnering with someone to break. And both of those will probably bring some legal attention. Um, I ho- obviously, hopefully not. Um, but if they do, like, I'm pretty ready to defend the things that I've said. So what just happened um, this week is one of the biggest uh, legal actions that's been taken regarding the IFB. And that is, um, and if you look up Sarah Smith's story, um, Spirit of Fear, that she did for the, it was for the Fort Worth Telegram, that's the name of the newspaper. Um, she goes in depth about the background of this case, but essentially there was rape allegations made against the pastor of the biggest IFB mega church um, in the U.S. And at the time, um, it was the biggest church in the U.S., period. Um, they had a membership of 40,000, um, so big, really big church. Um, most sexual abuse cases can be traced back to this church. Um, they have a college like there's, I did an interview yesterday as a woman recording an interview yesterday and there were two churches staffed with graduates from their college. And these two churches, eight minutes apart have about six or seven predators that have come out of them. So it can be traced back to the college. But anyway, so this college that is pretty much responsible for creating fundamentalism as we know it today, the leader of the church, Jack Hiles is one of the biggest cult leaders that's ever existed and never faced any kind of legal ramification for doing the things he did. Um, there's enough evidence and enough of an issue that one of the people I'm connected with is actually teaming with a lawyer and is going after the church with a RICO case. So they're going after them as a corrupt organization. Um, but they are literally going after the organization as a whole for creating a culture of abuse um, and it really is. I mean, anyone that does a deep dive on that college, like I tell people, I'm like, if I'm a 24 year old with a couple hunches and like a little bit of Google and a few connections can find some stuff when there's an actual investigative team that has access to things I don't, there's going to be a whole lot that comes to the surface. So that's a big story. And I'm going to be very active in um, getting that story out. So if anybody was to jump over on my social pages, they'd probably see quite a bit of that. Um, the other story I'm getting ready to break, I'll just go ahead and get into it, is not one of abuse, but it is a, it's just an interesting, this is just an interesting story. So so there's a college that I, the one I almost went to, and it's called West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. The church is uh, Lancaster Baptist Church. 
so the college is very airtight, like, like nothing slips out of this church. Like there's been maybe two or three cases that have slipped out, but people on the inside, I've gotten a lot of messages from people saying like dig deeper. We don't feel comfortable sharing anything, but there's a lot happening. And, uh, anyway, one of just the interesting things that they've covered up is, uh, they have a guy there who is like their main financial advisor. So like when they do special, weekends for college students to teach them budgeting he's the guy that teaches the course if they have a financial stewardship thing at the church he teaches it he's published like four books through them he's about to publish a fifth his books have been translated to spanish by them and have been put out as of like this last month so this financial guru who's basically like the ifb dave ramsey for them um he filed for bankruptcy with his wife in 2018 um, and is still publishing all these books. But what's interesting is right before he filed for bankruptcy, he donated $160,000 to the college and then filed for bankruptcy and is still publishing books to the college that they're paying him for. So like, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a lawyer or a brilliant mind, but if someone donates a ton of money before they file for bankruptcy and then is getting paid out by that same organization, that seems a little fishy. And uh, yeah, the bankruptcy judge seemed to think it was fishy too. And so Lancaster's in a lawsuit to retrieve $160,000 that's owed to the state of California. So that's an interesting story. It's not so much related to abuse, but it was an interesting thing that they covered up. And there's been a few things that have been fishy out of the organization. But I mean, when you dig into any of these places, like financial mismanagement is huge. Um, abuse is huge and just the lengths at which they'll go to cover their own skin is pretty crazy. Um, so that's two big stories. Um, as I get closer to those bigger organizations, I definitely have to be a little more careful. Um, you know, but I mean, it could come from anybody. Anybody can fight back about what's being said. Um, but luckily I have legal people that are there to defend, which is good. Um, I did not start this with that. So <laughs> it feels a little more because the first few episodes I put out, I was like, so scared about like, man, what's going to happen? Even though I knew I could defend myself, I'm like, I don't know if I can afford to defend myself. Let alone, you know, so having that lined up is a good thing. So, but, uh, but yeah, but the big story is really like, and I'll probably do an episode about this on my show is, is this story about the Rico case against Hiles Anderson, which you said was pretty uh pretty bonkers i didn't expect yeah. that to happen so yeah that is that is crazy when we is all of this going to be in your documentary or like in these stories or is your documentary kind of focused on something else so the documentary will cover basically the so here's the here's the hard part about what i'm doing is that they do call themselves independent and so the biggest hurdle i have to overcome both both as a someone creating a narrative and as someone presenting a case about this group is I have to show that they are not inter like independent, they're interconnected. And so basically the documentary is going to be structured in a way to show similarities of cases on every coast and in big cities across the US. And so the goal is to have five to six talking heads, someone from California, California, someone from Indiana, someone from South Carolina, someone from all these different organizations that have, A, where you can see a clear connection between them, and then B, like, what is it that's fueling these things? So the documentary won't be as extensive as the podcast. Like, obviously, the podcast gives me the chance to spend as long as I want to to talk about it over the course of the show. Um, but the, the documentary is essentially going to be like a condensed digestible version i want to keep it about an hour and a half where someone could sit in knowing nothing and walk away with a basic understanding that like oh this is really weird and it is like clear that they're not acting independently like there is a cause and effect here that's coming on the movement um but in the doc i'll definitely cover the big players so hiles anderson um first baptist church of hammond Lancaster Baptist Church, Pensacola Christian College, Bob Jones University, all of these organizations. And um, essentially just focus on really like seeing why it's happening and why it's allowed to keep going. Um, so that's essentially, it's essentially gonna be a like a Cliff's Notes version of the show. 
of the podcast um, and just a little more stylized. What are you hoping comes out of this? What is, what is your ultimate goal for the podcast and the, the documentary? The big goal is for people who, well, I mean, it's like everything. There's, there's like three main reasons. The, the biggest thing I want to see is people who are victims to ha- realize there's a way out, um, realize that there's a way to um, exit without feeling that you're risking your life or your eternal soul because you don't want to be abused anymore. Um, I want to reach out to those people. I want to reach out to the people who are in it that are good people. Like I mentioned, there's good people. Um that just don't see it as an issue. They don't, they haven't seen, they haven't done the research. They haven't done, they've just kind of accepted for what it is um, that they would see that there is a dark side to the group that they're in. And then I also, I mean, last, I just want to see a lot of these organizations crumble. Um, I, I, I want this to be my sledgehammer to the foundation of some of these organizations that I feel don't have a right to exist um within society and so whether that's i've done that on some of the shows like um with uh, the heps of a house out of indiana with um this movement with hiles anderson um you know there's when an organization is producing people who are abusers you need to take a look at why is this organization existing what are they teaching and that that spotlight excusing the word um, hasn't been shined into these organizations yet and so, um, you know, I just, my goal is just mainly that people would leave, um, that people would find something else, um, and that, you know, the people who are unaware become aware. And, you know, really, I mean, there's just so many, there's so many kids, there's so many people that don't understand that there's an option outside of this. And so, um, if the bad guys can be locked up and the good guys can be set free, that's a pretty good, uh, good note to go out on so but it's not going to be it's not going to be as easy as just saying that you know it's going to take time definitely um when i first met you and heard about what you were doing and all of this um stuff it you know our minds and i'm sure listeners on this side are going to go straight to things like waco texas and you know cult movements like that is there something that sets this apart where you know, it's not going to end like those ones ended or, you know, are there, I guess it's like hard to, to formalize what I, what I'm thinking, but, you know, a lot of people make those comparisons to those Christian cults and they didn't end well. You know what I mean? Um, I, I don't think that it would end in a, violent way um well i'll say this it's it's this has just never happened before and i and i think i think that from people i've talked to who have been involved in this stuff it's usually just dealt with with money um or it's dealt with just by like completely shunning and and uh damning whoever comes out and speaks out um when I was within the movement, uh, 2020 actually put out a documentary um, about abuse within the IFB. Um, it's available on YouTube. I don't think it's available anywhere to legally stream. Um, but um, 2020 did a documentary about it. And I was at a conference when it came out. Uh, I was a teenager. And David Gibbs from the Christian Law Association, which is the people that have covered up so many of these crimes, um, he got up and tear in his eye said this is satan's attack on our church um none of you need to watch this none of you need to see this and i look back at that now i'm like man cult 101 is like here's materials exposing the guys behind the curtain and the first thing they do at a conference is say don't watch it um and so i think there'll be a lot of that to start um so would a yeah, better comparison I, I, be like the Scientology movement where people have come yeah, out talking w- about that versus something like Waco, Texas? Yeah, like- I wouldn't say, yeah, I definitely would say it's not, I wouldn't say that would be my expectation would be that. Um, you know, 
I think that are, there's certain ministries that are a little weirder that would be, I'd be like, oh, maybe um, like back in the heyday of um, Hiles Anderson and Jack Hiles and all that craziness. Like there were people at the church that were openly like would tell the news, like if someone came after a pastor, like we were locked and loaded and ready to go um, and those kind of statements. But I don't think that's across the board. And I think it would be a little disingenuous for me to say like, I expect that, you know, a bloodbath when this happens. I think okay. it's going to be a lot of legal stuff. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of, you know, open aggression and, you know, people preaching out about what I'm doing. Um, but I think it's going to ultimately be, they're just going to, like, the ones that are guilty of stuff are going to end up behind bars. And then yeah. I think the churches will just, because they follow one person so strongly, I think they'll just fall apart. Um, I, I think it'll, I think it'll actually be, feel anticlimactic at the end of it. Because um, I feel like they're just going to disappear. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it's all uncharted territory. And this is why I'm doing it is I don't know. No one has aggressively gone after these churches the way that I'm doing it right now. And I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. Like I'm, there's tons of people with me that, that would have done it years ago if they knew how to do a podcast or, or pick up a camera. And, right. you know, I'm, I'm letting those people lead the way. Like at the end of this, people might not even know who I am, right, but they're going to, they're going to say like, man, I'm so encouraged by, you know, all these incredible people who share their story, you know, and so we'll see. I mean, it's, yeah. it's and I don't know how long this is going to take. I don't know what the, maybe what I'll do will have no impact and someone will do something here that does and we'll see what happens. So, but uh, I think yeah. I, I, I do truly think that you're going to make an impact. And, you know, even if it's not on the organization, it, it you will have an impact on the victims, which I think is the your main goal and you know when you talked about your three paths that you want you know the main thing is to you know give a voice to the victims and right. I think that that is the most important so that because you want to you don't want to put all the glory and and everything on the bad guys you want to highlight exactly. victims that you know have had a voice in years well and that's you know that's one thing I've argued with people is that some people have said like, Hey, we'd love for you to like, why not let them share their perspective, like the other side. And I'm like, man, they've been doing that for like decades. I don't feel an, an obligation to do that. Um, obviously like I do my best to be factual and like, I don't want, I would hate for a false allegation to slip in, you know, and I try to avoid those kind of things, but I feel like I vet people fairly well in conversation and if something doesn't check out, like I would address it, but I'll, I'll give you an example. Like I had a, um, as far as like what I want to see happen, like there was a, a friend of mine reached out and someone had reached out to them that they had never really gotten along with. Um, but the person that reached out to him was a youth pastor at one of these churches and they reached out to my friend and said, Hey, we've been listening to your friend show and we realized there's a lot of weird stuff going on that we never noticed before. And so I quit my job as a youth pastor at this church. And, you know, like, I don't know the church. I don't know the guy's name. I don't know anything, but like hearing something like that, that there are people willing to listen and see that there's a problem gives me a lot of hope for what this could be. And I think the bigger the story, um, the bigger, like the more evidence, like the show I'm putting out or the show that I put out this morning is one of those stories that I think someone's going to listen to and be like, that really is weird. You know, yeah. they really are going to notice some issues. And so, you know, I mean, that's all I can hope for, but like that one person makes everything I've done so far worth it, you know, and that sounds super cliche, but like, it is true. Like if one person who's being abused feels like, no, I have the tools I need to say something, then that's so worth it, you know, because yeah. there are like, um, one of my friends, Joy Ryder, she has a nonprofit called um, Out and she uh, she works with um, like government institutions to extend the statute of limitations. And where she was testifying in Indiana a few weeks ago, um, a statistic was read that like I think it was like sixty percent of cases, but it was it was like an inordinate amount of cases people don't come forward who are abused as children until they're like 20, 30 years out. Right. And it's like, again, it goes to that internal work you have to do before you're able to speak publicly. And it's just one of those things where I'm like, 
man, if there is someone who's 15 or 13 or 12 and they're, they sneak this podcast, like I would have sneaked this podcast as a kid. Like, I hope that when they hear an interview, like we're going to do soon with you guys talking about what's the legal action they can take. Why do they not have to be scared of their parents or youth pastor from going forward to the police? Like, that's the kind of stuff where it's like, man, if I have one person, even if I never find out about it, it's just that knowledge that that could be happening right now. And I don't know it, you know, like, and I, again, I think that that speaks to what the stories are that are being told and the the people that are sharing like the hardest part of their life and they're coming on and being willing to share that. I think that's so cool. And I think that that's really important for people to hear who are in those situations. Definitely. I think that it's, it's, different than like 2020 breaking a story where it's national news and it's not, it's not um, personal anymore. Whereas, you know, this is a podcast that you put on in your car and, or when you're at the gym and, you know, it's like you said, 40 different people coming forward with their stories that are all eerily similar in nature. And, you know, it becomes, too much to just kind of be like, oh, that was just a story on 2020. It's not a big deal. Right. And so I think that what you're doing is extremely important. I think that, like you said, if you just help one person realize that they don't have to live through the abuse, they don't have to be there, then it's all worth right. it. Right. For sure. Exactly. So, yeah, no, I mean, that's. I think you said it perfectly. Like, I think it's just a matter of, of letting people and, and the, the great thing on the podcast, I think I might end up even like looking back, be like, oh, the podcast was even better than what the documentary turns out to be is I feel like there's so much diversity of people that, you know, the story of someone from Lancaster, California might not hit home, but someone who lives in Mesquite, Texas might be like, oh yeah, that's my that's my neck of the woods. That's my version of the story. That's the type of abuse that I've seen. And so I think there's so much diversity and because it is like no two abuse cases look the same. They might be perpetuated by the same kind of people, but that trigger that you need to launch an action might be different for every single person. So I think it's, I think it's going to be really cool. Definitely. So what are you working on moving forward? What are your next steps? Um, I mean, the, just keeping on with the podcast, um, I've got a lot of interviews lined up. Um, right now, I'm kind of in the, you know, early, early stages of actually assembling, like, the who I want to interview for the documentary, because that's a, that is a lot of thinking that has to go into it. Um, you know, luckily with the podcast, I don't feel that I'm ignoring anybody's story. Um, but just coming up with a narrative thread that ties everybody together. Um, and then this month I'll be out shooting um, like my first on location interviews with people. Um, And so that'll be kind of like the first big step. Um, And the interviews I'll be shooting there will be like the bulk of the documentary. So really just a a lot of editing, a lot of writing, a lot of, a lot of behind the scenes work. um, And then also maintaining the show at the level it's been. And I'm, trying to take a few steps to like produce the show a little bit more. Um, It's important to me that the interviews aren't edited um, outside of like, if they ask like, Hey, I mentioned my sister's name and I don't want to say her name on the show. Um, But I try to leave them like coughs at all. Like, cause I don't want the accusation of you tweaked it to make us sound bad, you know? Um, But I do want to do some stuff. Like I've worked on an intro for it. I'm working on incorporating some more like news clips and stuff. So I'm just trying to be, try to do something that's sustainable, but also want to make sure it's something that, you know, I have to think of an audience that's tuning in every week. And so um, it's really, I mean, really this year is just going to be grinding and trying to make sure that I don't drop the ball in quality while also adding all these spinning plates to my, <laughs> to my schedule. So yeah. Um, yeah. Cause right now I think the document will take me to probably about five States. Um, and yeah, that's, that's going to take money, time, and resources that I got to figure out. So, yeah, <laughs> it should be interesting. Definitely. Um, Eric, was there anything that we did not discuss that you want to bring up? I think, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, obviously, like, I tell everybody to tune into the show and, and check it out. Um, 
um, you know, really it's just getting to work on my end. So, um, you know, Definitely. people would just do, do some research. Um, you know, I put out episodes Sunday and Wednesday. Um, that's my snarkiest part of my show. It's like, that's the two days that I went to church, uh, with IFB. They always say go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. So, about the time they sit in their pews, I publish the episodes. <laughs> um, so, so it's kind of my, like, that's my little jab. Um, but um, yeah, um, Preacher Boys doc, that's preacherboysdoc.com. That has all of the content there. I'll put in more stuff for the documentary there. And I actually have the, the thing I'm most proud of on there is there's an abuser database that I'm building out. And so um, if you go on there under survivor resources, um, it'll have a list of like each state and then cases within it. And I'm like maybe a fourth through that and there's a ton more names to add. So um, yeah, if you want to check that out, that would be awesome. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I edit your podcast. So if there's anything else, I'll throw it in the show notes and just click publish. So. <laughs> right. Um, well, as you know, we've got questions that we ask every guest that come on the podcast. So you are. Oh not- man, I forgot about this. I was not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> They're super simple. All right. Um, first one, what would the new you say to the old you? Um, I mean, I think I had the biggest thing out of the way, which is it's okay to, to ask questions. Um, I think if I could say one thing to myself, it would just be to inform myself of it's okay to speak out publicly. I, I was very good at asking like privately a lot of questions, um, but I felt guilty to like, really raise awareness publicly so i think i would just say it's okay to to open your mouth a little bit and start start talking it's okay if you're standing up for what's right it's okay to speak out of turn that's the short version i should start with that that's more pithy (laughs) no it's good um what do you do to help you get through a stressful situation or a stressful time movies um (laughs) i know i already said that but but uh you know for me it's it's the cathartic nature of movies and usually it's horror movies which tells you how messed up my uh, my things were but um but no just sitting back and just losing myself in the movie is like my go-to therapy sometimes I'll have a month where I feel a little stressed out I'm like I haven't watched a movie in like two weeks I need to like fix that ASAP yeah awesome um what is a book podcast ebook quote anything that you kind of live by oh man there's six things to choose from um well okay so i'm gonna give two um so a book that always is like a great refresher for me and just helps me kind of zone in is uh um confessions by uh saint augustine um or augustine depending on who you listen talk to about him basically just wrote this very raw kind of diary of prayers and confessions to god and it's just it's very airy very philosophical uh, some people might read it and say it's boring um i think it's I, I just i love it like it's one book that i lose myself in and it feels there's like an organized chaos to it of like he's saying all the things that like how prayer should sound which is like i don't know what i'm thinking but also this and you know a million other thoughts so that book is huge um i'm trying to think as far as other podcasts or anything i mean i just i just listen to a lot of things that are just I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts about movies and stuff. Movies are just a go-to. Like, I, I, I think, stay out with a movie. But yeah, Augustine's Confessions is really solid. Um, you know, it's cliche. The Bible is is very solid as well, um, obviously. I'm trying to think. There was something else I thought of instantly. I should have said it when I thought of it. But but um, the Confessions are a thing where, like, I can sit down with a cigar and just start reading through that and, like, chill out for 45 minutes. So Yeah, awesome. Um, finally, how can our listeners reach you or hear more about um what you're doing and, and who you are oh good i already I already gave myself that plug so i get to do it again um yes, but preacher do. boys preacher boys doc it's preacher boys doc.com that's where they can find me um i do have a personal instagram account i'll put in the show notes it's at eskorzinski um so no one's gonna find that on their first try um <laughs> But that's like the two main places right now. Preacher Boys Facebook is a um, good one. So all of my social platforms, it's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's just at Preacher Boys DOC. Um, so at Preacher Boys Doc. Um, and I'm very active over there. Um, I do miss messages sometimes just because I'm getting probably 15, 20 a day from people. Um, so if I don't respond to you in like two days, just shoot me another message and bump it up in my inbox. But 
whenever I travel, I just try to crank through those and say, hey. So, um, but yeah, that would be the main thing. Um, and and iTunes, obviously. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say your podcast name is Preacher Boys. Uh, the Preacher Boys podcast. It's one of the only things that pops up when you search it. Um, but if you guys listen to it on iTunes, uh, be sure to leave a review and bump it up there as well. Definitely rate, review, leave a five star. If you're not going to leave a five star, don't leave one at all. So we tell all our listeners to. So. That's right. <laughs> Pastor Reeves from my first episode left a one star review saying it was slanderous. How dare right? you, sir? Salty. <laughs> no. No. Awesome. All right. Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to having you on my show soon. So yes, we're excited. We need to book that. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at Two Thriving ATL. T-O Thriving ATL or online at twothriving.org.